What's up, you guys? My name's Daphne, and welcome back to Seriously with the Frick. I'm gonna be very honest with you guys. I really fucked up that first episode. I was definitely more editing it more as a YouTube video than more as a podcast. Um, I don't know if you guys could tell, but um, I'm so sorry about that. It was my first episode. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was kind of just more taking on way more than I could handle at the time. But in good news, I am definitely just sticking to the podcast format. I'm not doing a YouTube and a podcast. I feel like that was just too much to handle at the same time. Maybe back later when I kind of get more of a grip on how to do the whole podcast thing. Um, But until then, it is strictly just going to be a podcast. So since the entire reason for the YouTube was for visuals for the cases I'm going to cover, I'm actually go ahead and started a Instagram called seriously what the frick with underscores under every word. That's where I'm going to be posting all of the images and just like things that I feel like you guys probably want to see to kind of give like a better idea. That's all going to be on my Instagram and there should actually already be one up for my Sylvia Likens case for last week's, even though I'm probably going to delete that the moment that I get a couple episodes going. So the Sylvia Likens case I may end up redoing later on, but I'm done rambling. Let me just go ahead and introduce this week's case. This week is going to be about Jasmine Richardson. So Jasmine was born in Medicine Hat, Canada, which is a little bit of a suburb outside of Alberta, Canada. And she was 12 years old when she lived with her mother, Deborah, her father, Mark, and her little brother, Tyler Jacob, who went by Jacob at this time, and he was eight years old. The Richardson family was actually super close. Her brother was described as a typical class clown, super funny and goofy, and Jasmine was described as a super smart and really behaved kid. When she was 12, though, she actually began to change a little bit. It was super slow at first, actually. It was just her attitude towards her parents, and it gradually kind of graduated to her teachers. She kind of just started getting really sassy, more than anything. Eventually, Jasmine started getting super rebellious and wearing a lot of darker makeup, and then began to wear all black, and she kind of just turned into a straight-up 2006 emo kid. Did I mention this was in 2006? Because this is in 2006 when this happened. Her music taste actually changed to punk rock, mostly, so it was Blackfield Bride, Sleeping With Sirens, probably fucking My Chemical Romance, Marilyn Manson, and a whole bunch of shit like that. And I loved that all when I was 12, and I'm actually very mad about how similar me and Jasmine were. It's kind of infuriating, and I'll kind of go more into that when some examples pop up, which a lot do. So at school, it's not like her entire friend group disbanded, but she did grow apart from her friends because of her very drastic change in interest. Which I think Jasmine actually went by JR now, just because that's that's pretty punk, I guess. So as I said before, Jasmine actually started wearing all black. And I'm talking like ripped jeans, band t-shirts, chokers, change, and the darkest, most smokiest makeup you can possibly think of. It's as if Hot Topic was a person. She was that person. And I can say that because I was that person. She eventually started writing on her hands with a Sharpie and like inverted crosses on her forehead. And she actually began to scare the kids at her school, and she loved it because it made her feel very powerful. And before you ask, yes, I also did that. I wrote on my hands and my arms and, like, band lyrics. I didn't, I didn't do the crosses, though. That kind of drew the line for me. But I had, like, a specific pen and, like, a Sharpie for when I did it. Like, that's how dedicated, I guess, I was. She actually began getting in trouble for writing in her hands and the way that she dressed. I read somewhere that she actually went to an all-girls Catholic school, so writing a whole bunch of satanic shit on her, you can 
probably see why that was a problem. Don't get me wrong, she was still doing amazing in school, but she just kept getting in trouble for the way that she looked. One night, she actually went to a punk rock concert, and unfortunately, I couldn't find who it was because I probably knew them. And, you know, she's hanging out, and she sees this guy's across the room, and he is full gothic, and I'm talking, like, smeared eyeliner, we're all black, and she literally fell in love with him the moment that she saw him. He also notices her, and he makes his way over, and they kind of hit it off, and it's literally love at first sight. And this was unemployed high school dropout 23-year-old Jeremy Stunk. And just a little bit of background on Jeremy, he had a super abusive childhood, his mom was pretty much a raging alcoholic, and all of her boyfriends abused him, and he was also just super bullied at school, and it actually got to the point where he actually tried committing suicide. Um, I kind of just feel like he was just so lost in the world, but by the age of 13, he grew this persona of him just being a 300-year-old werewolf that loved the taste of blood, and he actually wore a vial of blood around his neck pretty much at all times. And of course, he tells Jasmine that he is a 300-year-old werewolf that needs blood to survive. And, you know, she falls for it, obviously. And she just thinks it is the hottest thing ever. At the concert, they actually end up exchanging phone numbers and they get to talking and secretly hanging out. Because I wouldn't know how to tell my parents I was talking to a 300-year-old werewolf that was actually just in the body of a 23-year-old man when I was also 12. She'd actually lie to her parents a lot of the time, saying that she was, oh, just at a friend's house or just studying, etc. But she was actually just being super sexually active with a 23-year-old man, so. Did I neglect the fact that she's 12? She's fucking 12, in case y'all forgot. They did primarily talk on MySpace and the website Vampire Freaks, which triggered the fuck out of me because I was on that website when I was also 12. I actually recently just looked it up, but it's actually a clothing brand now and it's not used for social media anymore, which I would have loved to see the bullshit that I used to post and what was on my like vampire freaks wall in my profile now that I'm an adult, but I digress. So her interest on vampire freaks and MySpace were kind of fucking weird. Like obviously she put like dark poetry and colored hair and colored contacts and piercings and tattoos and quote unquote kinky shit. But she also put top hats, oversized tricycles, plastic spoons, and wookie noises, just to name a few. And she also described herself as a Wiccan, bisexual, and insane. Jeremy was also super invested into the site too. His interests were as long, but not as weird, and mostly just contained like mosh pits, death, blood, kinky fetishes, and skateboarding, etc. So as any parent should, is have access to the 12-year-old social media. But of course, when we're 12, we're strongly against that. But Deborah and Mark kind of just go through her stuff and they find out that she has a secret relationship and that she's been lying about where she's been and that she has been sneaking out to go hang out with this 23-year-old man. And of course, they're really fucking pissed at her because she's been lying and sneaking out and just being super disrespectful towards about everyone she's came in contact with. And she is forced to stop seeing Jeremy and wasn't even allowed to leave the house until unless it was to school and back. And this made her lose her fucking mind even more. And she just acted out. And it was pretty much a giant war inside of the house. And of course, against her parents' wishes, Jeremy and Jasmine still had contact with each other. And it was pretty much just over social media. So one day, Jeremy and Jasmine are talking. And then Jasmine's just kind of going off about how she fucking hates her family. And they're the reason that those two can't be together. And then Jasmine proposes a plan. And says, quote, I have this plan. It begins with me killing them and me living with you. End quote. 
And Jeremy just kind of responds with probably the edgiest thing I've ever fucking heard. Quote, their throats I want to slit. They will regret the shit that they have done. Finally, there will be silence. Their blood shall be my payment. End quote. A few days later, I'm guessing they're watching a movie and probably just either emailing each other while watching it or there. I mean, there was video chat on Vampire Freak, so that's probably how they did it. But they were watching Oliver Stone's 1994 Natural Born Killers. And I'm going to go ahead and assume that that's what kind of made them pull the trigger on this entire thing. So it is April 23rd, 2006, and Deborah was actually getting ready for bed, or she was in bed, or something, and she hears a few noises downstairs, and like any person who's never seen a horror movie before, would go and check it out. You know, and she's just trying to figure out, like, what the fuck's happening in my house sort of thing. And she turns on a light because it's nighttime and it's dark, and she's immediately rushed by a male with a mask, hoodie, and a knife. So she was attacked um, and was stabbed over 12 times. And of course, this wakes up everyone in the house. And her husband, Mark, goes downstairs and literally sees some dude stabbing his wife. And also like Mark, I would grab the closest thing next to me and, you know, start fighting back. But unfortunately, Mark did lose and he was stabbed 24 times in the neck, face and chest. So Jasmine's actually upstairs when all of this is going on and she kind of realizes that maybe she should go into her little brother's room. So she goes ahead and does that to kind of protect him, I guess. And he's covering his ears and, you know, because nothing's worse than hearing your parents get murdered downstairs. So Jeremy actually walks into Jacob's room and according to Jasmine's testimony, she claims that Jeremy demanded that she killed her little brother because he had just killed her parents for them and that she needed to participate. So... She stabs poor, poor baby Jacob five times and then slits his throat to ensure that the eight-year-old didn't live, I guess? And then she also claims that she didn't stab him hard, which literally makes no sense. Like, I don't I don't feel like stabbing Dolly would help. Like, I feel like that would hurt more. Later that afternoon, since it was after midnight, so technically it's April 23rd still, um, about 1 p.m., one of the kids in the neighborhood came knocking on the Richardson's door to go ask Jacob to see if he can come out and play. And he like peeks through the window because no one's answering and he's just like double checking and make sure that he's not being ignored or something like that. And this kid sees some fucked up shit. I'm talking about like blood and bodies and guts and just something that a six year old should not be seeing. And so like he screams and runs home and I'm assuming that his parents kind of like go back to the house and check it out. And then they call the cops after they like realize, oh shit. Something bad happened. Cops show up and they go inside the house to kind of see what they're dealing with. And it's bad. Like there's blood everywhere and I am talking everywhere. And there's actually a quote by the prosecution. And I know I'm kind of getting a little ahead of myself here, but I feel like it was kind of give you all an idea about how bad this crime scene was. Quote, a father fought for his family's life to his death. And you have police officers who mourn the loss years later of the terrible things that they saw. End quote. And this is when Jeremy actually tried to appeal his conviction, and it definitely didn't go through. And an appeal for those who don't know is someone trying to get a reversal of their sentencing from a lower court to a higher court. So it's pretty much like if you're sentenced by the city court, you can go to the state court and see if they can reverse your sentence or give you some sort of different sentence sort of thing. It's, I definitely complicated the shit out of that, but y'all know what I mean. So police officers are on the scene and they're kind of looking around just trying to understand what happened. They don't know if this was some 
bad domestic abuse or some horrible burglary gone wrong. And then they kind of walk into Jacob's room and they see him on his bed, soaked in his own blood with his throat cut. And then this is what makes them realize that this was a personal attack. And whoever did this knew the family. One of the officers is kind of looking around again and then they see a family portrait and they notice that they have everyone except one person, the daughter. So at first they believed that whoever did this actually kidnapped Jasmine. Um, They put out an Amber Alert and they immediately go to her school and like rummage through her locker to find clues, I guess. I don't know what police would think was in her locker if she was kidnapped, but I'm not the police, so I don't know. But they're going through her locker and they find this picture that immediately has cops just change their minds and realize that Jasmine had something to do with her family's murder. And this drawing is just super fucking weird. I'm going to go ahead and put it up on the Instagram because I definitely don't feel like the description I'm about to do does it any justice. It's just hella weird. But it's pretty much just stick figures in a house, but the house and the stick figures are on fire. And there's like two other stick figures like running away and saying, well, ha 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 ha, like they did it. And it's, it's just wild, but it pretty much, it definitely convinces police officers that it was Jasmine. So Jasmine and Jeremy fled to a town called Leader, which is roughly about 100 miles or 160 kilometers away from Medicine Hat. And if you're wondering how they got there, it's not because they hitchhike or Jeremy drove. He, he had a license, but he just didn't drive in this specific instance. He actually had a getaway driver named Casey Lancaster, who was later charged with accessory to murder, but they were dropped and she was only given a year of house arrest and was told to just stay away from drugs. And that, that was it. So... Okay, Canada. So somehow the cops do find them a hundred miles away and they immediately arrest them both for three counts of first degree murder. So while these two were being questioned separately, of course, they didn't seem upset over the fact that one of them just killed the other's family and everything seemed too normal for them both have just committed murder. And especially for Jasmine, who was so young at this time, she was 12, and I keep on forgetting that. But a fun fact about her, she was given the titles of Canada's youngest person to be charged with murder, so I bet she brags about that a lot. Jeremy was actually gloating to the police about his black eye that Mark gave him while he was fighting for his and his wife's life, and he was laughing about it because he's a fucking psycho, I guess. Which, kind of a side note, a lot of people don't agree with the way that Jeremy was convicted just because he did have a lot of symptoms that come with fetal alcohol syndrome and pretty much their case is that he didn't have the mental capacity to understand what he was doing and that the 12-year-old edgy Jasmine was the one that manipulated him into killing her parents, which I kind of don't get, but fucking whatever. So Jasmine's trials begin in June of 2007, so like 18 months after the murders. And when she was being questioned on the stand for why she had her family killed or why she killed her family, her response was, quote, I just love Jeremy so much. I thought it was going to bring us closer, end quote. 
And all the evidence at the trial was pretty much just all the letters between the two while they were awaiting their trials. I'm talking like there was dozens and dozens and dozens of letters. And a lot of the letters were just saying about how Jasmine thought they were immortal in Legends and that they also did a lot of planning in their futures as well. Um, they just were acting like they were going to get out of prison tomorrow and everything was to be fine. Well, reality check, baby girl. That didn't happen. Because I'm from the future and I know that. Another letter states, quote, Never has a person affected me so much. Always will there be something missing from me without you. My lawyer tells me we're legends. Ha, closer to immortality it would seem, end quote. Kind of fucking doubt that's what her lawyer said, but all right. Also in another letter, Jeremy proposes, quote, You wanted to get engaged, question mark? Then here's the question. Will you marry me? If so, then it's a verbal agreement, end quote. It's not a verbal agreement if it's over a letter, but okay. She then responds with, quote, Yes, yes, I would love to. The world is really against us. Rar. End quote. And seeing that Rar made me so fucking mad because I used to say that to my boyfriend when I was 12, and I hate how much of a sad scene kid I was, but I'm I'm sorry, just that entire part of my life just fucking triggers me. And I'm I'm done with it. Okay, I'm I'm done talking about it. So Jasmine actually takes a stand in her own defense in July of 2007, and she actually admits but before the murders, she had fantasies about her family being murdered or making it seem like a murder-suicide or it was supposed to be some sort of accident, but she never had intentions of going through with it. And then when she was questioned about the letters, all really she had to say was she was going to be remembered forever now. She would be immortal. Not actually live forever, but people would talk about her and Jeremy forever because of what they did. Which is kind of just a fucked up concept because a lot of people are actually scared of not being remembered. And then they go crazy about being remembered. And then they do shit like this in order to be remembered. And it just kind of fills the hole inside them when they do crazy shit like this. So Jasmine actually ends up pleading not guilty to first-degree murder, and it only took about three hours before the jury found her guilty to all three counts on July 10th, 2007. She was only sentenced 10 years, which I know sounds crazy, but there is a reason. Since this is Canada, and Canada strongly believes that in, you know, actually helping people and rehabilitate and not just locking them up and hoping that they don't commit crime again... But there's actually a Youth Criminal Justice Act that pretty much just states that if a perpetrator was under the age of 14 when they committed the crime, they may not be tried as an adult and they can only be given the max sentence of 10 years. And since she's already served 18 months, she pretty much was given credit towards her 10 years. And that um, she had to be in a psychiatric ward for another four years and then she had to do another four years served under conditional supervision by the community. She was actually released May 6, 2016 and changed her name and has been keeping a low profile ever since. And she's going to Mount Royal University for school. And if she can go five years with no legal altercations, her entire juvenile record will pretty much just be erased. So in May of this year, if she hasn't slipped up, I guess, everything that she did would be erased on paper. But not in the people from Medicine Hat's mind. For Jeremy, his trials were in 2008, and he was found guilty pretty much immediately of all three counts of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to three concurrent life sentences. So that means he's just serving all three sentences at the same time. 
will be up for parole after serving 25 years, which will be in 2033. And in 2012, he actually changed his name to Jackson May, which I didn't know you could change your name in jail. And I kind of don't believe that if you're a criminal that like killed people or like did horrendous ass shit, you should not be allowed to change your name. But that's probably just me. And like I said earlier, he did try to appeal his case from first degree murder to manslaughter, but it did not go through. So I know the burning hot question is, are these two still together? No idea. I couldn't find anything that confirmed or denied anything. I can only really find things about Jasmine, but it's pretty much just saying the same couple things of her laying low and just going to school and just trying to, you know, live a normal life, quote unquote. Um, but I'm just going to go ahead and assume that they did not stay together. Um, since because, you know, she's out and, you know, he's still in jail <laughs> and will be till the day he pretty much dies or, you know, he makes for parole in, you know, for a couple years, 12 years, I think. But I'm just saying, like, if I somehow convinced another person to kill my family for our relationship, I feel like I would be obligated to be with them forever because they killed my family. And that just makes sense. <laughs> And unfortunately, that's about all I have for you guys today about Jasmine Richardson. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that, I guess. I don't know. It's pretty horrendous. So it's kind of like, oh, like this is cool. I can learn about stuff. But it's kind of like, ah, people were murdered and these are real people. So that's that's just me. But yeah, that's honestly about it. Moral of the story is don't kill your family for another person because it's probably not going to end well. I don't know. So actually go ahead and follow the Instagram where I'll be posting a few images about this story. I will see you guys next week with a brand new episode. Bye y'all.